from Northern California Public Media and Mensch Media, welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mencher. This time, from the heart of eastern North Carolina, it's chicken country. On this episode, Victoria Bulubasis visits a rural county where the multicultural workforce kept America fed during the pandemic. We'll meet Esmeralda, who has become a community health worker, and her mother Marta, who works in a poultry plant. In the face of blatant mistreatment and inadequate protection, food factory workers in North Carolina became sick and died in unacceptably high numbers. This mother-daughter team stepped up to protect the health of their neighbors and co-workers, efforts they continue today. A note on translation. You'll be hearing Marta, Esmeralda, and others speaking their first language, Spanish. If you're a monolingual English speaker, we've got you covered. Victoria will always be along to interpret. But we're feeling the need to let you hear the voices of those who are often unheard. It is undeniable that the coronavirus pandemic brought enormous injustices to light. COVID-19 devastated working-class families and their communities. In rural North Carolina, or chicken country, black and brown poultry plant workers risked their lives on the factory floor to bring food to our tables. Thousands became sick, many died, and there are likely hundreds of cases left uncounted. For one Latino family in Duplin County, it was a close call. It's Sunday afternoon in Duplin County, North Carolina. The midday sun drenches the landscape of a mobile home park. A breeze cuts through the humidity as a group of kids sprints across a big yard, kicking around a soccer ball and shouting in Spanglish. Esmeralda and her mother, Marta, gather friends and family to celebrate the birthdays of Esmeralda's oldest kids, who are turning 11 and 12. Mi nombre es Marta. Mi nombre es Esmeralda y pertenezco al condado de Dublin en el área de Monte Olivo. Monte Olivo, otherwise known as Mount Olive, a small town with flat, lush, green landscapes in eastern North Carolina, about 60 miles from the coast. Una, dos, tres. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday It's your typical family barbecue in the South. Meat sizzling on a grill, kids shoving each other playfully on a trampoline, Esmeralda's youngest daughter brought her pet bunny, named Marshmallow, who hops from one child's embrace to the next. Parents who normally meet at their kids' soccer practice or at church mass gather under the shade of a party tent on their day off. Monte Olivo se distingue por haber muchos hispanos. La gente es maravillosa y en su mayoría pues son hispanos, son inmigrantes. Esmeralda says that the people in Mount Olive are wonderful. 
What sets this town apart is that the majority, at least in her community, are Latino and immigrant. For Esmeralda and Marta, community is everything. Nearly a quarter of Duplin County residents are Latino, making it the rural county with the largest Latino population in North Carolina. It is also more than 25% black, which includes African-American residents, as well as a large population of Haitian refugees. Almost every family that Esmeralda knows has someone who works in the food industry, many in the fields picking tobacco and vegetables, and many others at the five large meatpacking and poultry plants spread throughout the county. Butterball is one of the main poultry companies in Mount Olive. It is also the largest turkey processing plant in the world. It employs more than 3,000 people in Duplin County. Last year, the Mount Olive town manager told me that at least 26 languages are spoken on the floor of that plant. Many immigrants and refugees from Mexico, Central America, and Haiti work there, as well as a sizable African-American population. In the area where I live, Estoy rodeada de personas que trabajan en plantas procesadoras de pavo y son personas que se levantan desde muy temprano y dejan su vida en esas plantas y en su mayoría son hispanos. She says all of her neighbors work at poultry plants. They wake up early to clock in and dedicate their lives to that work. Mi mamá trabaja en una planta procesadora. Her mom is one of them. This is how Esmeralda describes Marta. Tiene sus largas jornadas de trabajo y aún así llega a la casa a ser madre, a ser esposa. Entonces, ella no para. Es una persona muy trabajadora. Esmeralda is saying that her mother has long shifts at work and comes home to step into the role of mother and of wife. She doesn't stop, she says. She's a very hardworking person. Yo en mi país era enfermera, trabajaba en el hospital militar de donde yo soy originaria de Tamaulipas. Marta explains that back in Tamaulipas, Mexico, she worked as a nurse at the military hospital. But even a government job in healthcare did not provide enough to raise her family. Her son was born with a disability, so Marta decided to migrate to North Carolina after hearing of friends landing steady, good-paying jobs at poultry plants. Fue un trabajo pues muy diferente y muy duro para mí. Fue muy duro para mí adaptarme, pero la necesidad me hizo ver todo bonito, aunque para mí no era. Marta laughs now when she recalls looking at her new world as todo bonito, similar to saying you view the world through rose-colored glasses. She says it was difficult to adapt to a factory job after serving her own community as a nurse. But she had to do it out of necessity and to stay optimistic. That was 16 years ago. Early on in the COVID pandemic, when most city centers were empty, steady traffic hummed through rural landscapes like Duplin County. It's where food is grown, produced, packaged, and shipped off to the rest of the country. In the spring, smoke billows from burning fields to make way for planting tobacco and sweet potato later in the season when crops are picked by hand. And all year long, people like Marta work shoulder to shoulder at poultry plants, hog farms, and other meat processing facilities. The food supply may have dwindled during the pandemic, but the essential work never stopped. But large food corporations like poultry plants and government agencies were not protecting workers from COVID. In the summer of 2020, the North Carolina Watchdog Reporting Network published an investigation on what was happening inside the plants during the pandemic. 
Here's investigative journalist Nick Oxner from WBTV and the Watchdog Reporting Network. There have been roughly 75 complaints filed with state and federal labor regulators by workers at meatpacking plants concerned about lax safety protocols during the pandemic. The complaints have included concerns that workers were being made to stand too close to one another or that a plant had reinstituted rules penalizing workers for missing a shift, even if they're sick, among others. More than half the complaints were closed within a matter of months. A spokesman for the North Carolina Department of Labor says the agency relies on a response from a company to determine if a complaint is valid and doesn't do any actual other investigating like doing a site visit. Our investigation uncovered a gray area in regulating places like meatpacking plants. The departments of Labor, Agriculture and Health and Human Services all point to each other as agencies that have the power to keep workers safe from the spread of COVID-19. For the most part, poultry plants were silent about COVID cases. Al principio de la pandemia, nosotros no tuvimos no, ninguna orientación acerca de la pandemia. Tampoco tuvimos una mascarilla. Tampoco se nos dio todo un equipo necesario. Marta says at the plant where she works, she and her colleagues were given just one disposable mask and nothing else for months. I think if I could describe this last year, with one word, it would be overwhelmed. <laughs> My name is Larissa Garzón. I'm the executive director of the Episcopal Farmworker Ministry. The Episcopal Farmworker Ministry is a small nonprofit in eastern North Carolina that manages to support farm and food industry workers in more than 10 counties, including Duplin. Larissa started hearing directly from workers, including Marta, and their families, like Esmeralda. We have heard so many stories of uncertainty. Workers who would notice somebody was missing and the rumors would be that the person had died of COVID or was hospitalized or was in quarantine. Whole groups of people not going to work and people having to make the choice of, do I go to work and feed my family or do I protect my life and stay at home and not have an income? By the time the pandemic hit in March 2020, rumors began spreading about what was really going on in those plants. Here's local TV reporter Melissa Henry of WITN reporting live from the Mount Olive Butterball plant on April 27, 2020. WITN obtained memos saying at least 52 employees here at the Butterball plant have had COVID-19. A spokesperson for the company refused to say if that, in fact, was the total number of cases. However, when presented with the information that we have from the memos, they did not say it was inaccurate. When the outbreaks in poultry plants first made headlines around April, the focus largely remained on the workers moving the product, not the entire families and communities affected by the virus. But they were getting sick on the job and bringing it home. Marta says women she worked with sewed face masks and sold them for a few dollars in the break room to make up for not receiving adequate protection from their employer. But it wasn't enough to keep them safe. Sabía que era la enfermedad. Yo pensé que como ya habían sacado gente del trabajo, como éramos menos personas, yo me sentí mal, el cansancio. Yo decía que era gripa porque mi lugar de trabajo es muy frío, muy frío. It wasn't long before Marta became infected. She had no idea it was COVID. She thought, since so many people were being let go from work and there were fewer of us there, I thought the extra work was making me more fatigued. I thought it could be the flu, since it's so cold where I work. You see, not only do workers stand on their feet for hours on end, but those factories are kept incredibly cold. It wasn't until her husband, 
who doesn't work at the plant and works outdoors, tested positive for COVID that Marta realized she had brought the virus home. COVID vino a mi familia, lamentablemente, por la mala información que había en esa planta procesadora. Desgraciadamente, mis papás se contagiaron y nos contagiaron a todos. Esmeralda says that after her parents were infected, they all tested positive, including herself and all four of her kids. She says it was a direct effect of the plants not providing the right information for workers to protect themselves. As more poultry workers got sick, the plants would not publicly report the outbreaks. There's really a huge black box around understanding, you know, who is getting sick and where they're working. How long these outbreaks are lasting is also a really difficult piece of information to figure out. Leah Douglas is a data journalist at the Food and Environmental Reporting Network. Leah was the first journalist to track every single COVID case and outbreak in food processing facilities, including poultry plants and on industrial farms. She poured through local news reports, made records requests, and interviewed workers and union reps. She became the leading source for outbreaks. I decided last April to publish a map with the information I'd collected so far of about 40 outbreaks at meat and food processing plants. About 1,400 workers had gotten sick with COVID-19. Basically, from mid-April on, that haste of new outbreaks and infections just totally exploded. In October 2020, Leah and her team revealed that COVID cases were 75% higher at 10 North Carolina plants than what had been previously reported. To this day, the North Carolina Health Department is not naming the poultry plants with outbreaks. In fact, advocates petitioned the North Carolina Department of Labor to adopt an emergency rule to protect poultry plant workers from infection. North Carolina Labor Commissioner Sherry Berry rejected the request saying, the virus has not been proven likely to cause death or serious physical harm from the perspective of an occupational hazard. On June 8, 2021, Leah Douglas released new numbers reflecting her 15 months of data collection. At least 90,155 food system workers have contracted COVID. 400 have died. You know, you hear all these stories, that's Larissa again, the worker advocate in Eastern North Carolina. All these illnesses and harm and deaths that could have been prevented had we had more immediate response because it took so long also for employers to adopt some of the precautions, you know. And here we are a year after the pandemic started and we continue to hear stories of people getting sick with COVID, with people that have died. The plants also have tight reins on their employees who risk speaking out. Marta says it's a steady job, and she wants to wait until she hits retirement age before she leaves. But she's not using the name she uses at work for fear of retaliation. Nosotros no podemos estar nosotros nombrando donde trabajamos porque ellos no nos permiten a nosotros que estemos hablando de donde trabajamos, cómo es el trabajo. Nosotros no podemos tener un celular dentro de la compañía porque si ellos saben que uno te lleva Marta says, we can't name where we work because they don't allow us to talk about what it's like on the job. We can't have a cell phone with us at work. They fire us. It impacted our comfort level of how food magically appears on our plates. We take it for granted. It affected so many people on that level that people were paid more attention to the workers, and rightfully so. I mean, a lot of these issues for them, of course, are not new. It's just kind of elevated. That's Charlotte Ammons, who works for the State Center for Environmental Farming Systems. 
She grew up in Duplin County in a black family rooted there for generations. Her two aunts have been working in poultry plants for more than 30 years. She says they have an allegiance to the work too, which she views as similarities between black and brown women. My aunts carry that, this kind of loyalty to this industry, to this place, meaning the plant. You know, there's an intense work ethic and an intense relationship to being committed, you know, to working ethically within a system that is constantly unfair to us. It's really, and I feel like it's just that caretaking quality that particularly older black women and older Latina women share, and this kind of innate loyalty. Last year, Charlotte wrote an essay for Bitter Southerner inspired by her aunt's work. She titled it, My Family Pays the Price for Your Chicken Dinner. The writing weaves intimate details within a historic framework. The labor of Black Southern women has been the one true staple of the American dinner table for generations. I wrote that sentence in my journal, and it was the impetus for the rest of the piece. As we recognize the devastation of COVID-19 and the fearsome cost of meatpacking plant workers, we also recognize this. The resilience and resolve of Black women has persevered in the wake of violent and demeaning conditions from southern fields to plantation kitchens and now processing plants. Swollen hands and pulsating varicose veins trail the tired limbs of older black women like my aunts, who have worked these plants for over 60 collective years. Charlotte reflects on her written word. It goes beyond this lazy interpretation of what resilience really means, this expectation of this kind of superwoman mode of being, which doesn't allow for black women particularly to be their whole selves and actually speak to the conditions that they're living with every day. With so many people losing their life just from showing up to work to get chicken to us, it's just, it just became like, really? After Marta contracted COVID from work, the entire family quarantined for weeks. Marta's husband, Esmeralda's beloved stepfather and the only father she's ever known, came down with such a severe case that it kept the family on edge. Here's Esmeralda. She was afraid she would lose him. These were difficult moments, says Esmeralda. We were among the first cases here and we didn't know what to do. We didn't have any accurate information. It was a desperate time. Y yo sé que como este caso, hay muchos, hay muchos que no han salido a la luz. Hay muchas personas que siguen en la oscuridad, que siguen pensando que no hay apoyos. Entonces no es cierto. Sí los hay. Esmeralda says that so many workers affected by COVID haven't even shared their stories because they believe there will be no one there to support them. But that's not true, she says. And she made a promise to help others. Toward the end of 2020, months after her family contracted COVID, Esmeralda trained to become a community health worker, also known as a promotora, with the Episcopal Farmworker Ministry. She quickly became a leader and trained more promotoras, including her mother, Marta. The two of them educate their Latino friends and neighbors about the vaccine. They go door to door to invite poultry plant and other food workers to vaccination clinics. The events are often coordinated with local health clinics as well as the Duplin County Health Department. 
As vaccines rolled out, the plants began working with public health officials to protect workers, according to Duplin County Public Health Director Tracy Simmons Cornegie. We have done a number of vaccine events with various employers in the county to include on-site vaccine clinics around their shift work, whether it's first, second, or third shift. We've done events at Butterball. We've done events at Valari. We've done events at House of Rayford. She goes on to list a number of food processing facilities, including poultry plants, as well as big farms. But the health department has not counted how many poultry workers have actually been vaccinated in the county. The thing about the plants is that's a hard question to answer of how many plant workers have received vaccines. And the reason for that is there are employees at these plants who may have chose to get it at one of our other sites, whether it's at one of our churches or one of our other community events that we've had. So I cannot give you a definite number of how many plant workers have actually received the vaccine. Marta says that for a full month, no one at work advised her or her colleagues about getting vaccinated. She didn't trust the process and did not want to wait after suffering through COVID. So she turned to her daughter Esmeralda. The irony and perhaps silver lining is that while Marta represents a working class disproportionately affected by COVID, she was also among the first in the entire state to get vaccinated. And that had nothing to do with her job. It was because she and Esmeralda became community health workers, which bumped them up to frontline status, despite Marta's essential work being a priority on paper. At a vaccination clinic for food industry workers, primarily Spanish speakers, Esmeralda runs the show. She checks carloads of people as they pull into the parking lot, explaining where they can pick up a gift card for gas. The community health workers are also giving away boxes of food and homemade snacks, like taquitos, while people wait to get the vaccine. Chile verde, crema, and queso on and of course, Esmeralda answers the number one question about the vaccine. No, Esmeralda assures the woman, the vaccine does not hurt. Esmeralda rattles through a list of what's in the food boxes she's packing. Oranges, milk, yogurt. Iglesia Católica María Reina de las Américas en Monte Olivo. Muchas gracias y compartan este video, por favor. She loves getting on social media to promote the clinics in her community. At the vaccination event, Esmeralda streams a live Facebook video urging her friends and family to come. For a year, she has been training community health workers, including her mother, to visit tiendas, churches, flea markets, and other places to educate Latinos on the benefits of the vaccine and to sign up if they wish. Marta says that by speaking the same language, Health workers like her can cultivate a trust that won't exist as easily with a non-Latino health worker.
yo pienso que como nosotros entendemos su mismo idioma, vamos a tener esa comunicación, esa confianza que les vamos a sembrar en que yo soy igual que usted, yo estoy hablándole en su idioma. Yo pienso que es mucho más importante a que si va un americano. Marta has even helped her fellow poultry plant workers sign up for the vaccine. She says it's not about convincing anyone to do anything. It's about dispelling myths and hopefully fears with accurate information. Ah, okay. It also connects her back to Mexico, where, remember, she used to be a nurse. As a mother-daughter team, Esmeralda says her mom taught her to be strong and not to give up. Esmeralda even says that people who were afraid to learn about the vaccine before are now seeking them out for information. Antes tenían miedo y ahora nos buscan para que nosotros los ayudemos con toda esa información. Nos toman en cuenta ya ahora. Ya no nos ven como lo que tenían miedo al principio porque fuimos de los primeros casos. Marta chimes in to say that because their family was among the first in the county to contract COVID, people were afraid to speak to them. Now they depend on them as health workers. This moment has become a turning point for a community that is historically overlooked. Cuando yo llegué a este país, no veía oportunidades para mí. Llegué cero inglés y sí tuve muchas malas experiencias, sufrí racismo, muchas cosas que la verdad yo tenía miedo. Esmeralda says that when she first arrived to the U.S., which was 10 years ago, she didn't know any English. She experienced racism and fear and saw no opportunities for herself. Soy líder de mi comunidad, la perspectiva es diferente. Ahora yo quiero pelear, quiero luchar, quiero alzar la voz por los trabajadores. But ever since she became a promotora, her perspective has changed. Now I want to fight, she says, and lift the voices of the workers. Desde que llegó COVID, sacó a relucir todas las diferencias sociales que hay en este país. Entonces, ¿por qué no ayudar a una persona y a otra sí? Esas personas siguen tra siendo trabajadores esenciales. COVID brought social inequities to light. Why help some people and not others? Pandemic or not, they're still essential workers, she says. Esmeralda's a great leader. That's Larissa again, executive director of the Episcopal Farmworker Ministry, who has watched Esmeralda bloom. I would say that her leadership skills have really improved and there has been a lot of growth, you know, to lead the efforts, not just as an individual, but also as a team leader with the promotores. She knows a lot of people in the community and people trust her. It's something that we're very happy and grateful for and we're very proud of her. Somos una comunidad vulnerable. Somos una comunidad que necesitamos apoyo. Nos sentimos solos porque en un momento yo también me sentí, pero ahora veo que no. Y es momento de alzar la voz. Es momento de, de tomar acción. We are a vulnerable community, Esmeralda says. She herself has felt alone with no support. But now, she says, it's time to lift their voices. It is time to take action. Chicken Country was reported and produced by Victoria Bulubasis. Audio editing and mixing by Bridget Sear. The story editor was Claire Schoen. The partners who made this story work include Northern California Public Media, Mensch Media, Southerly Magazine, and Enlace Latino NC. Additional support provided by National Geographic COVID-19 Emergency Fund for Journalists. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher. 
The Living Downstream theme music is by David Shulman. Other music from Kokura Station, Dorica, Origami, and Feel via Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Esmeralda, Marta and her family, Larissa Garçon, Charlotte Ammons, Leah Douglas, Tracy Simmons Cornegie, Lauren Vied Allen, Vaughn Diaz, Yesenia Cuello, Melissa Bailey Castillo, and John Gregory. Thanks also to Gray Media Group and WBTV and Melissa Henry of WITN. Follow or subscribe to Living Downstream on Apple Podcasts. Comment on it and rate it there, and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Lately, a lot of you have been connecting via Spotify. Thanks. You'll also find more about us on NPR One. Visit our website at norcalpublicmedia.org living. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at norcalpublicmedia.org. Later this summer, we're heading out to California for a story from the Salton Sea. We'll see you then. Thank you.